0: Welcome to Dublux Presents. Today, I have with me my good friend, Wes. We met through mutual friends in recovery a couple years ago. I decided to ask him onto the podcast to talk about his story, his vision, and we're just going to chat about some things, maybe mutual experiences. So, Wes, what do you think is up with recovery today. What's going on, man? What's I'm I'm in recovery, you're in recovery. Uh we're not going to make the whole we're not going to make another recovery podcast, right? But it but it is how you and I met. And and I wonder if you had any thoughts about sort of the industry that's exploded around um helping people facing addiction issues.
1: Well, uh there's a paradox here that I can't help but point out and that is that Uh, for the most part, the most beneficial work that anybody does in recovery, they do for free.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Anyone who profits from anything is suspect. So when you're talking about people who are fundamentally untrustworthy and also untrusting, which is the nature of being an addict, uh, you place them in a position where now suddenly they're a commodity and they're less likely to take anything you say seriously. And so um, I think that for that very reason... Um, recovery itself as an industry is fraught and I don't know that it's going to have the effect that it should. I feel like it's been watered down to such a degree that every billable hour is now notated so that somebody somewhere is getting paid for something and it's cut people off from their ability to connect with why it is that they're trying to recover, what it is that they're trying to recover from, and whether or not they actually want to do that because I mean you go to a a month rehab center and at the end of it you leave with what a $12 book Yeah, and that's out of control it's unnecessary I think um, to exploit these systems the way that we have and I think that it's a huge drain so um, but here's the other side of that same paradox were it not for treatment centers most people would never become acquainted with this $12 book uh, which of course isn't the only way to recover but Um, I mean, given the state of addiction in our country right now, people are dying uh, in large scale. So, without the help of some treatment center or some refuge for people to go, they they may never find recovery at all. So, I want to unpack this topic just
0: a little bit and speak to sort of the history of it, right? Um, Maybe to some of our listeners, this is known news. but like many medical conditions and you can look, you can point to, um, you know, hysteria being a, a, a medical diagnosis, right? Where so, so things start out in ignorance, right? This is the, the human, this is the, the history of medical conditions and before they were medical conditions, right? So you have someone suffering from depression being labeled as, uh, you know, maybe being possessed by demons Right, and that's and that's how we approached the topic in, in the 1700s or even even the 1800s. And that's
1: when we start drilling holes in people's skulls. Well, or
0: or institutionalizing them <laughs> and just removing them from the from the body politic at all. Right. Right. Uh, then it kind of became like a moral failing. So if you so if you look at um, you know uh, the criminalization of of addicts, right, and like the war on drugs and all of that. That was like the next step where it's looked at as a moral failing. And then further research has indicated that there are in fact, you know that there is a um, a symptom which is the cause of a dysfunction in an organ which leads to some you know predictable behavior, right? And so like the disease model
1: mm-hmm. and
0: so the application of the disease model. so so we're we're in the midst of you know the first 10 years really, of addiction being looked at as a medical condition as a result of brain imaging and scans like that where we say okay well it's a it's a defect in the choice making part of the brain right that leads to people making decisions that are against their interest against the interests of their fellows despite the consequences right like it's it's behavior that that causes unwanted consequences Right. And the, and the person's unable to like they're able to compute it, but they're unable to like decide accordingly. Um, and I'm not an expert on this topic at all, but I think it's interesting because to give it some balance, it's easy to criticize the state of the, the the industry and like, you know, oh all of a sudden it's a disease. So we can start taking all sorts of like snake oil cures and billing them and coding it right and so so I have friends who are peer support specialists who can show up and they can host a meeting and all of a sudden their employer gets to bill every single person in that meeting against the medical code and and get you know maybe $2000 from that meeting as income for their business while they're paying that guy 20 bucks an hour and, uh, and that's the scam you're talking about. And I just wanted to unpack that and put it all in context, right? right? You, you start yeah. from – yeah.
1: It becomes this pyramid scheme because like you – and I don't even know how often this even happens. But you have somebody who comes into treatment. They're brand new. Um, and uh, against all odds, they stay sober for anything like an entire year, 365 days. And they go one revolution around the sun. Now they suddenly work at the treatment center that they went to. And uh, it's become this cyclical thing where – uh you end up in recovery, then you end up working in recovery, and then, you know, of course there's the obligatory working in recovery becomes your recovery, then there's the relapse, and then you come back, and then it's all that business. It just seems to me uh to be this huge, I don't know, Ponzi scheme for lack of a better word. Mm. And I don't think that anything ever really comes out of it and uh and more often than not and this is just in five years experience so far in seeing this happen you get a treatment center uh that has a legitimate mission statement and they genuinely want to help people and they're willing to go to any length to do that which is i guess what it really takes um and then suddenly money becomes involved and it falls to shit Hmm. Like they get a little bit more licensing, uh, to do what it is that they're doing, they like expand to a bigger center, uh, they move everything and then they start advertising. And before you know it, um, the amount of I mean, we're just talking about the numbers of people who stay sober yeah. after going there plummets.
0: Yeah, recidivism goes way up, right? Like the rate of people who don't make it, and, and then yeah. proportional to the people who go and try to get treatment what do you think is the answer is it a return is it to say well you know uh, we want to be able to to detox people in a safe controlled environment but but residential treatment uh is maybe out like what would you if you could legislate and change change the way that it works
1: what's your two cents and we're just spitballing yeah well i'm pretty hesitant to do that because i'm not i'm I'm not certain that I even have a solution for this issue. Uh, the one thing that I know is that it would be nice if you had a safe environment where you could put someone for a few days to, like, maybe a month uh, to gather some of their own thoughts and figure out where they're at, and potentially um, make the beginning on a prog- process of recovery. But I think that when it comes to like aftercare, you know what I mean, and IOP and stuff like that, I I don't I don't know that that's you know. I don't know that that's doing the trick. I think that becoming a mess – enmeshed into a recovery community that's already pre-existing and becoming part of something that's already going on that most people don't know. Like the first time I ever showed up at one of the meetings that I've gone to, uh, it was in somebody's house. Uh, There was pizza boxes stacked up everywhere. Uh, There was a pool table. Dude's playing ping pong. There was no furniture in the fucking house. And I was like, (laughs) is this a fucking kegger? What is going on? (laughs) Like I didn't understand. But the fact is is that this meeting had already been existing for a very long time. And it's a a meeting that I continue to go to. Um, Now there's too many of us to even meet in a house. So, um, but before I had ever gone to treatment, I didn't know that these things existed. I thought this was like a one time thing uh, that this was going on. And, you know, I didn't, I I figured you had to go to some stuffy meeting hall where there was old dudes there and they're going to tell you how to run your life. And I wasn't trying to have that. I, I still wanted to have some. Autonomy. I just – I don't know. I mean, when I finally made the decision that I really wanted to try to stay sober, like completely, I had already been to rehab. And so I was well acquainted with this recovery community that existed. Um, But part of that had to do with the fact that I lived in sober living. So I think that really kind of what it comes down to is when you're trying to recover from years and years and years of – substance abuse i I think that a 30-day treatment center and then kicked out the door to go back to your life is probably not the answer and there's likely going to need to be more intensive long-term treatment and i mean the numbers are there so if you were to go to a 30-day treatment and then you were to spend six months in sober living you are three times more likely to make it to a year than if you just went through a 30-day treatment center so that's a huge difference you know um and I see that happen for a lot of guys. In fact, um, one of the groups that I go to, which is my home group, um, there are several guys in there who went through a specific sober living house um, who all have five years plus. So
0: maybe this is a good place. I mean, I, like I promised to our listeners that we wouldn't make it all about recovery. And, and we can, is there anything else you want to add on that topic? On that the
1: topic of recovery or on the topic of treatment?
0: On the topic of the treatment industry, because that's really what we talked about. We didn't really get into our our personal stories or advice for anyone, just kind of commentary on the state of things.
1: So I don't think that there's anything wrong with treatment. Um, I think that it would be better if it was more affordable. Not everybody has health care. And one of the biggest issues that I see is that a lot of the guys that I'm dealing with, they're past the Obama age of being on their parents' health insurance, they don't have good health insurance. Not that there even is such a thing as good health insurance anymore. And um, so when we're talking about on a state-sponsored, you know, treatment trip, they're not getting any level of treatment, really. Or care.
0: And, of course, the dual diagnosis piece falls in there as oh. well, where most of the folks are really yeah. just trying to self-medicate, you know, some underlying issues that occurred a long time ago. not to
1: mention what meth and triple digit heat actually do to people's minds Um, (laughs) all I know is this Um, if there was more attention paid um, and if I was to be the one who legislates I would set up you know a few different entities maybe even you know I I would be hesitant to privatize because I mean we're talking about you know, people's well being. There's probably there's a few things in life that should probably be state sponsored and this is maybe a political opinion, but prisons shouldn't be, you know, privatized, nor should schools and nor should healthcare, because they directly correlate with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's just the reason why the government should be able to provide those things. It's what we pay them for. Mm. So it would be ideal, in my opinion, if you know, given the fact that we're dealing with an opioid crisis, and it is a crisis, it's a health crisis in our country, addiction is an issue, it would be ideal if we had the government step in and say, well, we're going to set up treatment centers. And when you're arrested with, you know, some amount of drugs, instead of throwing you in prison as a state-sponsored rehab, we actually give you treatment and the ability to reassimilate into life. It's sort of what's happened in Portugal, where they decriminalized all drugs, and people going back to... You know whatever drug they were doing when they were caught doing what they were doing uh it plummeted like pe- people were recidivizing it like fifty percent less and that's um that's a huge difference, and that all came from government legislation so I think that that's something we could probably talk about but um yeah that's my big issue is that because it's we're a capitalist country, everything makes a dollar, and so as soon as people are just dollar signs it makes more money to put them back in treatment than it does to help them get better.
0: So that brings to mind the problems that we experience when things scale, you know, mom and pop shop when, when grandma was just making the cookies, they were delicious. And then, you know, somebody bought grandma's recipe, outsourced it to a factory. All of a sudden you're making, you know, 2 million cookies a day. So you got to cut some of the ingredients out and things get weird. Right. And profit becomes the motive as opposed to the love of grandma's home baked cookies. Um, And maybe that's a bit of a non sequitur. But I worry when you talk about having the government um, be responsible for things like treatment, that they're the least personalized entity right like they're the least likely to give you individualized care
1: yeah that's been historically the case i've seen that too but and anything that you put onto a grand scale like you'd mentioned becomes less effective at a certain level and part of what makes um 12-step programs the meetings that we go to the things like that we do within it the reason why it works is because it's all you know at a base level it's at a group level we are all a community of people which is what makes it work um, but things become uh, a little bit less personal when they're scaled up, but they, the only way to make it available, um, is to, to create some sort of structure for it. So I, I mean, having it, um, a government, uh, style, you know, funded program is, uh, I don't know. I think it makes sense if the government was someone we could trust, that's a different podcast. Well,
0: sure. And, and those problems notwithstanding one of the things we can give credit to government agencies for is the ability to efficiently distribute uh funds so like so like cutting a check to someone is something that the government is well set up to do they're they're well set up to take your money and they're well set up to go give it to someone else so so even if the administration and actual um you know, delivery of treatment is left on a much smaller decentralized level. You could see an infrastructure being created to help fund those kinds of things outside of uh, the private healthcare system, which opens all of those loopholes for profit seeking and chasing the margin instead of actually just wanting to carry the message to someone who's still suffering. Right. Like carrying the message to someone who's still suffering for two hundred dollars an hour is a completely different program. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, okay, let's um, hypothetically speaking say um, that uh, the leftists in this country have their way and, um, you know, Medicare for all becomes a thing, which eventually I think is going to, I mean, we have to be headed in that direction. The current system we have is somewhat unsustainable, but if that were to happen, setting up a program um, so that we can help different types of people who have, uh, you know, mental, you know, Illnesses, uh, addiction being included, but there's more than just that. And the homelessness crisis um, is is reaching new scales. It's that way in every city across the U.S. But here in Phoenix, because we're a temperate area, I mean, it is it's outstanding the amount of people that I see outside. It is it's it's a lot. Sure. And um, and as it stands, people's standard response is, "I'll give them a dollar." You know what I mean? I'll give him a dollar. Here, I have a dollar, but no one asks their name. You know what I mean? And so it creates this situation where um, it feels like you go to treatment, and you're a dollar when you get there, and then when you get out of treatment and you're suddenly well, now you hand a dollar to the guy who's still suffering because that's all he is—is is a dollar. Hmm. It's an interesting take on it. Have you have you
0: experienced a shift in the way or or different kinds of? Uh, treatment modalities, as as you've you know gone through the last five years and like have your history, your experience with uh, the industry, so to speak, versus you know the uh, the nonprofit, almost you know uh, well the anonymous community, right, where there isn't a a brand to it. There's nobody to talk to.
1: Well, I may not. I'm not an expert on treatment centers. I went to one, mm. but I've sponsored and known enough people. I, I once. I met a guy who said, well, this is my 13th treatment center, I said, really, 13, is that a lucky number that I'm unaware of, like, what's going to make this any different, you know what I mean, it's not, it's never going to be any different if treatment is the answer for all of that, the one thing that I know for sure is, uh, my experience coming in, I went into treatment, I got out of treatment, I immediately got loaded, like, within a week, mm-hmm. Um and uh and and I stayed that way for like sixty, ninety days while I was finishing up um my sober living regimen that I was on. And I moved out of sober living and that's where I got sober. But the ba- the main difference was I had found some sort of meeting with which to be of service. It's where I went to be of service. I had this H and I meeting that was at this really, really grimy halfway house and uh and I had to be there every single Friday and I had to bring guys to speak at this meeting. And it's the reason why I kept going to meetings Because I really didn't have a choice I had this obligation And so earlier we were talking about How you can become overcommitted committed um, And not have this um, Packed with yourself Like we had discussed But um, I think that one of the biggest things Is when you go into treatment You're completely undercommitted. You show up uh, with Presumably a duffel bag full of clothes Maybe a carton of cigarettes or whatever And then they make your food for you they wake you up to go to group, they tell you where you need to be, they make sure you get your pill, uh, and then when you get out, you don't have any of that. So no, there's no one there to serve you, and you have no one to serve but yourself. So it's that same selfish, cyclical cycle that we get into this, and it's just over and over and over again. The thing that I learned from working the program that I have is how not only to take care of myself, but to start by taking care of others. And if it hadn't been for that meeting that I had to go to, I wouldn't have gotten sober. I would never have done the things that I did. I chaired that meeting loaded for like a month.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to uh, you know chair chair people everywhere. Yeah, so you can do that. The loaded chair. Um, so. There, I like the point you made about, you know, being relinquished of responsibility when you arrive in a therapeutic setting and how in many ways. Right. It's kind of like, hey, uh, you haven't been doing a great job making decisions. So we're just going to like tell you where you sleep and what you eat and whether you can leave. And there's like a there's like degrees to it. Right. And like the institution, the mental institution is like the most you restrict somebody's, you know, effective, like in order to protect the rest of the people that are outside, we're going to put you inside Wait, And inside. then, right. And then, and then we're going to, we're going to pad it too, like literally like padding the walls so that you can't break out of them. Um, and jails. And of course, right. And so, so this idea is that the person who is consumed by addiction, right. As a, as a, as an unsustainable treatment for mental illness is suddenly, uh, like proven to be such a hazard to themselves and others is to be relinquished of all responsibility. And so you're put into like a very structured environment and then we're going to model what healthy conversation looks like. We're going to model what self-care looks like. We're going to model what integration with some belief system, some underlying belief system that isn't self-reliance looks like ideally.
1: Right. Well, and it doesn't sound- slowly
0: spoon feed people back into that, program, but, but it's not self-driven. It's driven by the, by the center. So when you leave, all of a sudden, all of those crutches and the padding and the structure, the environment that you've been in, you know, just drops away, which is why it's so important to do those transition plans and actually carry that, carry that out. Right. Where you move to well, a yeah. sober living and you're with a group of dudes where you're accountable and there is still some structure.
1: And this may sound controversial, but this was my experience. If you, I mean, if you're like me and you go into a situation like that where you've been, um, isolated from the life that you were living and then spoon fed this other new way of living and then you leave 30 days later you're not likely to believe that this is i mean you walk out of those doors and the first thing you think is they're all full of shit that's a lot of bullshit
0: yeah 30 days ain't shit
1: 30 days ain't shit and they probably don't know what the fuck they're talking about and i you know i can manage it this is what i'm gonna do i had 30 days i'm gonna do and this is what i did it's exactly what i did um there's um there's something. There's a treatment center in Mexico, and uh, it is owned, operated. It was built by. It's continuing to be built by and staffed by the people who live are, are staying there. It's this treatment center that is run by addicts, owned by addicts, and I mean, there's no staff. That's mm-hmm. it. If you go to treatment there you're given a job. You have to cook food, you have to clean up after yourself and after others and then, like it service begins the second you get there.
0: Did did Brand start something similar like that? I don't really
1: know. Um okay. I, I know that the, the basically I met a dude
0: who wanted to do a donut shop like that too. It's it's like one it, you know, it's it's not a unique idea. Tell me more.
1: Well, but it's it's completely non-profit. Like there's a lit- they grow their own food. Right. You know what I mean? They they everything that they need to run it, they are self-sustained. So I don't even know that that's possible in a country like this one, but I do know that it is more conducive to recovering than appealing to your insurance company that you need treatment for X amount of days and everything needs to be given Betty Ford Clinic shit. That's not... I don't see that actually working, and in the crisis that we're in here in America with um, addiction being as severe as it is and as ever-growing as it is and new potential addicts are being born every single day, we're going to have to find a solution that legitimately works. The trick is you can't give something to someone who doesn't fucking want it. Uh, It doesn't matter how hard you try. There's no way you're going to be able to give something to someone that doesn't want it, let alone tell someone that they need to work for something they don't want.
0: And I think, you know, we've offset, and when I say we, I mean what has occurred in the United States federally and maybe at the state level, depending on which state you're in, but really every state that I've ever been in, we've offset a lot of burden on the social contract uh, that used to belong to a community. So communities used to be smaller and there was a level of accountability and responsibility for fellow community members. And I don't know when or how it happened because I'm not a scholar of American cultural, you know, history. Right. But, but there's, there's this erosion of this concept of community. And it's a big, it's a big split today. Uh, and, and I'm, and I'm going to tie this back into recovery. Right. But like the idea is that like, if you come from a broken home, your parents can't help you. Right. If you come from a broken town, like the town isn't gonna to help you, and and there is this notion that everyone's in it for themselves, and 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 many of the people that I've that I've met in the rooms right that aren't fortunate enough to have uh, financial backing or other people helping them out are like on the margins there anyway. Right, which is why I mean I think it works in places like Sweden and Finland and Norway because because there's a homo- it's homogenous and the whole place is like the size of New Hampshire, so like everybody's name is Sven, you know it's like Sven Svensson oh, yeah. and Sven Svensson and, and and it's like the and story Sven, right? right. And there and and so and so they know that there isn't anywhere else you're gonna go and there isn't like an othering there, whereas you know look at how many ways we've become divided as a country. I mean even in in our short lives, right? Like like the divisions that are played upon every day by interest groups and and the tribalism that's growing where it's like, well, you're you're an other. It's not we Americans, right? Like if it, it was that ever anything other than like good branding.
1: Well, and if it's we Americans, it's not those Americans for sure. Right. Yeah.
0: And what it means to be American is absolutely, you know, like it's a nebulous concept at best. And people are willing to scream and and almost, I mean, almost fight each other for it. No, now, they've done it. But this ties to a much deeper topic that you and I have talked about at length, which is this polarization at the opposite ends of the spectrum and how that gets all of the press. And what I want to bring attention to both in, in this Platform and just with every guest that I bring on is to highlight that like everyday people are in the middle. They're not the shrieking liberals and they're not the shrieking conservatives. They're not on the left. They're not on the right. They're in the middle. And what we all want is a safe place to raise our kids. What we all want is the ability to basically pursue our dream and not necessarily at the expense of someone else. And I I think that that doesn't get any press man like everybody's just leveraging the other bias anyway to bring it back into recovery yeah <laughs> so,
1: Well, and, I mean, it makes so, it
0: difficult to figure out like who who's gonna do it
1: well and, and, and when is the opportunity you know I mean so if we have these issues um, and I, most of what you see in politics is identity politics anyway either you're gonna either they're gonna say something and I've heard people say well I heard this politician say that he cared about the opioid crisis and so like I believe in him and I'm like well but why? He said that so that you would. He doesn't give a fuck about that. He gives a fuck about Kaiser Permanente.
0: Well, well, cares cares or not cares, and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily attribute ill will to these political actors. I just think that there isn't really any accountability in that system. My so you can make whatever promises you want, and there's absolutely no reason to keep right any of them within our system because it's not illegal to make false campaign promises. Sure, and. And ultimately, the job of a politician is to stay in business, and the way they stay in business is they get reelected, and the way they get reelected is by advertising dollars, and they get those advertising dollars by raising
1: right funds. And so, so what on. I'm saying is, if so, we say we'll wait until the person who has my identity politics at heart. Sorry, buddy. Um, we'll wait until this person cares, uh, and then he's elected, and then all of a sudden there's our opportunity to do something about it. But that's. That's not the way that it works. We thought that it was going to work that way. I I mean, uh, without dropping too many names, like when we thought, oh, Obama's coming, right? And then that's going to mean change. Uh, you know, uh, we thought there was going to be, that's the opportunity. That's when things are going to change. But things continue to progress the way that they always did. Just because he was elected doesn't mean anything.
0: It's probably something I'm going to talk about a lot this year, Yeah, <laughs> I think, where where there's this creeping realization that's that's and maybe I'm the last one to get the news, right? But that like no one is coming, no one's coming. to fix the world. And so either we each take accountability at an individual level and do what we can to, to to solve these huge global problems locally in whatever way we can, right? Like the most least you know like like no longer using small you know plastic disposable plastic bottles but carrying a bottle around right is that going to save the planet no but it's doing something as opposed to expecting mm-hmm. legislature to do it um all of that no one's coming and 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 so i'm having this <sighs> i'm having this realization that i'm going to have to go to some pains right and some discomfort and there's going to be some sacrifice Involved in making those changes because right. I'm in, I, I'm privileged, right? I'm very lucky to to live the life that I live, and there's there's maybe only a couple percent of the world's population is, is sitting on a sofa like this, right?
1: It's nice enough, yeah.
0: Right, um, and we're well fed, and we have somewhere to sleep, and we're free from violence and so on. Anyway. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. The
1: point is that, like, if you're waiting around for someone to come and be elected, like, you have to be your own identity politician. You know what it is that matters to you, and so if you want to organize within your own community to do something about it, then you should. And that's what I, that's what I like about you know twelve step fellowships is that's exactly what we're trying to do, aiming to do the things that we put on are all self supported. We don't need anyone's help. We're aiming to help other people, and we do a good job of it for the most part. But there's too many, like. There's just too many out there that we can't reach. And there's too many other issues that are other outside of addiction that matter, that do need our concern, that don't get any attention.
0: Well, I I mean, but one of the reasons that the fellowship is as successful as it is is because we, on purpose, avoid all of the controversy.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that we should. The day
0: World Service backs a political organization is the day that, like, it all falls
1: apart. Oh, yeah, that's the end of it. But but, so my point is that... um, As far as, you know, what we do as a whole, that's outside of our scope. However, we as individuals could be doing this out in the community. And so it is something that I make a point to do. And I mean, I'm not saying this because like I'm somehow special or anything like that. But if I have time, I'm on my way someplace, you know what I mean, to the gym to go get something to eat. And I see somebody flying a sign, I'll pull over and I'll talk to them. I don't always have cash on me, but I'll at least ask their name. I know the names of several around my area that I'm always dropping by and checking to see how they're doing. You know, not, not because it fucking matters, but because they're community. They are a part of my community. And so I can't always be of service to everybody. I can't. But I can make sure that everybody knows that they matter.
0: I think I think attention, right? And this is, of course, the all the social media and and facebook and instagram and all of this is monetized um through attention right their metric is to get you to sit in the app and so when you offer your focus your your undivided attention to someone who is invisible homelessness the homeless are invisible we do everything we can to not see them because to see them is to acknowledge them to acknowledge them is to all of a sudden have a relationship with them and you don't want that relationship more often than not because they're people who are desperately lacking in basic things right but it comes back to this idea of the dollar right Mm -hmm. like like how do you really start to affect that kind of change would you would you welcome this person into your home
1: i have i have have to ask well i have i have to ask permission now because i'm married But right yeah it's different it's a little different because it's her home too but uh, like i have there's a Arizona, at least, is uh, a bit of a purple state where that's concerned because there's plenty of places that if they wanted a ride to, I could take them to. I don't have to take them to Cass or some homeless shelter. I What's
0: can... a purple state?
1: Eh, it's somewhere in between a red state and a blue state. Oh. um We have services that are available. The tra- The problem is, is that they're not well advertised. Most oh. people don't know where they are. Um, and, uh, and the thing is, is that when, when dealing with trying to help somebody, I can't always, I don't have the time to go out there doing all of that, but I have the ability to put them in touch with people whose job it is. And that's nice. And not everybody has those kinds of solutions. So I'm not saying that I'm, um, that that's what everyone needs to do because, um, you know, we are, I'm, I guess I'm fortunate in the fact that I'm in recovery. So like, I know a lot of caseworkers because I'm in recovery. So we, we started the
0: thread, um, you know, talking about our jobs and what it means to have a job that kind of pivoted to identity, we, we got into the topic of recovery and sort of the failings of the commercial industry, the recovery boom or the recovery uh, business, uh, Shared some critiques of that and then started moving towards what's a potential solution. And, and we return to this idea of these ideas don't, these solutions don't work at scale. Mm-hmm. Decentralized, smaller models, one on one interactions, not necessarily financial in nature, uh, combined with a top down financial support, right? So, so when you go and you recognize that person and you talk to them and you learn their name, you're having a one on one interaction. You're making a personal connection, but then you're connecting them to. Some sort of community organization or something that 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 is uh, tailoring to meet them, but you couldn't do one or the other. Like like just meeting the person alone with the sign isn't really going to shift their life. No, and you can't like bring all of them to your house. Nope. And then just shifting them into these institutions without ever recognizing them as people and making that human connection not
1: exactly satisfying either. I mean, especially since I know that. You know, it's not well known to every single person out here in, in our community that these sort of programs exist, but it is pretty well known amongst the community of people who don't have a home. You know what I mean? So they, they already know, I don't want to go to Cass. It's crowded. Someone will steal my shoes. Like, that's a thing. Mm. And, and, you know, so, um, you know, there are other options, but not all of them are good. And so the... The dysfunction of it shifts from one to the next as they become more and more popular amongst that community. So the issue is that there's only so many options and that those options are usually overburdened and that if they're not overburdened, it's because they cost too much money. So like let's say I have uh, a guy that I meet, he's homeless and he wants to get sober. Um, and he's making a valiant effort. And I could get him into a halfway house, but I got to pay for it because he ain't got no money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot. I mean, I, I sometimes I can crowdsource and we can help a guy who's really showing promise. But that happens so very few. I, like They're few and far between. I'd like to be able to do more of that can't can't afford it and the same thing kind of goes with the homeless population like you had mentioned I can't bring every single one of them into my home but I do genuinely care if that's something that they want if they want to get up off the streets and that's something that they want to do I'd like to give them an option that's viable so I mean if I had my pick of things it would be You know if if you've had this experience let's say you're you've been homeless and now you're not or you've been a drug addict who was currently using and now you're sober then it's my opinion that like we need to band together and make a space for this type of recovery so i mean whether it be you know you get a couple guys together you know rent a house fill it up with people they get jobs they pay the rent you know what i mean that's how it's, I've seen it work with other guys.
0: Wait, wait, wait! You just you just flew right over that. What were, what's the suggested plan here? What are you What are you
1: proposing? I'm suggesting creating a community in which we f- make a springboard for people to make their way into recovery or into su- their own version of success, whatever that be. So, um, so so just I mean I I, I want to slow you down and unpack
0: it right because I know that you and I are familiar with this concept. But if I'm understanding you correctly. To, to the listener to the person who's, who's, who knows folks, right? It's kind of, you go, you hit bottom, you recover, you have life restored to you. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're a normal person again. Mm-hmm. And then where are you going to choose to make your investment? Like, what are you going to do with your funds after you've purchased a home and after you found that stability? And what you're su- suggesting perhaps is that groups of those people can pool their resources and buy sort of halfway houses that they're not running in a for-profit fashion but to right. cover costs yes and then provide um basically a home right and and, yeah. and maybe some semblance of of non-profit volunteer services to others to come bring meetings into that house and then like help get more of these people pull them up from the from the juice at the bottom of the dumpster
1: Yeah, or wherever it is that they come from. My idea is that we make it localized. It's a lot more easy to manage on a smaller scale. And the idea of it not being for profit at all, not for expansion, um, just simple altruism for the sake of trying to help some other person um, who might not otherwise have that that opportunity. Because as it currently stands, you have two options. You can either rely on a corporation or you can rely upon the government and neither are a viable option because there's not enough money within the government and there's there's not enough opportunity within the corporation because not everyone has the ability to do it. So, my thoughts are because, because there are enough of us to create this opportunity, then with enough groups of people doing this, you have many options and choices. If I call Jacob's house that he and his friends started, oh, sorry, we don't have any beds available, why don't you try Wesley's house? And then so on and so forth. And down the line until eventually you find somebody who has an open bed for someone to move into so that they can start their life again. I can't imagine that there would be another way to do it that would work better. I mean, literally, the person who wants to change has the opportunity to go and do it.
0: Well, while the debater in me can definitely think of some ways that could be better, none of them are even close to accessible. Right. Yeah. And I think and I think you know the, the takeaway is to start where you are. The other point that sticks out to me about what you said is the, the challenge of profit motive and how that changes everything about the business and we, everything about the process of recovery when it becomes a business, because the leadership in those organizations is talking about how they're going to keep beds full, not necessarily how to reduce recidivism. Mm-hmm. Right, recidivism isn't a problem; it's an opportunity at a large scale treatment center. Right, um, and then the second piece, and I think we talked about that. Unless there's anything else you want to add,
1: well, no. And and for the record, I'm not even certain that the idea that I just pitched is viable. All I know is that it's it's more likely to work than setting up a business that is designed to prey upon those who you know, who need help the most, because that's the way it seems to me. From the outside looking in, when I view the way these businesses operate, it seems to me they're trying to make a profit off of someone else's recovery. And it, to me, it just doesn't compute, I, I, like I can't wrap my head around the way that that's ever going to work. Not even so much that I'm judging them for being bad or opportunistic, I'm just saying it doesn't seem like a viable solution. It won't possibly work because there's always someone lording over them. They don't ever get the opportunity every now and then someone will ask to sleep on my couch. I'll get the permission that I need so that they can get, you know, a jump start. They'll get a job while they stay with me. Some of the time, about 50% of the time they get a job, they get a job, they'll get their first paycheck and then boom, they're gone to do whatever it is that they needed to do. So the springboard worked for them, for that person who did that, it worked. And if it can work for them and they had the opportunity somewhere else, then wouldn't that be better? Well, I think, of course, it would. But if I could do it on at least a large enough scale that it has any amount of impact, because one dude on my couch a couple times a year does nothing.
0: You're wrong. It, well, does, it does everything for
1: that one
0: no, person. Right. So, so uh, uh, to the contrary, I would it's say just not that that's put a
1: dent in the statistics that I'm talking about.
0: No, it. Hmm, I, I again, I would disagree. If you think about the ripple effect and the lives that are, that have been affected by just somebody letting you crash on a couch one time, right. Or, the opportunities that I saw, and then the lives that we touched. I, I actually think that that is the cataclysmic. Like, that's the that's the moment where you have this smallest fractal wave, this pebble in a pond that actually causes these ripples. I just be so Howard much opposition, and and so I'm not sure that
1: this chain reaction effect is going to take. place I feel like we need more people on board. Is all I'm saying.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, but I'm but about- you sharing an idea like this on a platform which then sparks other ideas like your idea isn't necessarily the only one. It's just to surface the the concept that this is a problem that people in recovery are uniquely prepared to affect Mm -hmm. and that the solution may be much closer at hand as opposed to seeking some larger overarching legislation, legislative or, 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 somebody else is going to swoop in with the answer because we've seen them swoop in and we've found that the solution isn't necessarily avoiding... You know, it's not mitigating the problem.
1: Yeah, I, and, and oftentimes, like, that's the only thing that the government could do is they throw money at a problem and it becomes a band-aid and it becomes a crutch and then it never really does what it is that we had hoped that it would do because at the time that we legislate it, we have all the best intentions at hand and then and then there's no one there to do the work. You know, there's just... Handing the dollars to the homeless, dude. That's what the government does. Hmm. It doesn't ask it your name. It doesn't know your name. It doesn't care. It just has one. That's so how it
0: stays unbiased. And so, and so the difference is right that at the individual level you can be, yeah. Um, at the at the higher at the highest level at the bureaucratic level you can't be. Right. I mean, you, you, you literally, uh, and that's a good thing. Ideally, right? That like that. So so that's why it takes both. I guess, in my opinion, in other words, I would, I would hate for the government to take a personalized approach. Yeah. Uh, I I don't, you know, I don't see that as being efficient at scale. And and this comes back to a, to a, something we we just keep dancing around, which is this notion of like the decreased efficiency at scale and how like a big solution to a big problem, you know, is, is completely different from a small solution to a small problem. I, I don't know if I'm effectively communicating what i'm trying to say but yeah
1: but i just feel like the best that i can ever do is offer a small solution to this big problem and I, and that's what it, my idea sounds like it's just a small solution just a little bit you know but even then like how viable is that how many people have the means to actually do what it is that i'm suggesting probably very few i mean
0: it's all relative so i don't know what you mean by that well it's all relative, right? Like, like, even right
1: now, I'm not in a position to do it. Okay. Right? It's something that I aspire to do. But no, the but there is some
0: about, dollar amount that you would contribute monthly that would help, right? And so, and so the- Yeah, but the, I'd
1: want to be legitimately involved. Otherwise, the process wouldn't work.
0: Right. But if you went and you reached out to, say, everyone in our you know, weekly men's group, um, we could probably get enough pooled together per month- to pay the mortgage on a house like this, an our weekly men's group alone oh, yeah. could could it wouldn't even break the bank. Purchase a house um, that we would all be like you know share equity stakeholders in, but you'd have to set up a five hundred one c three to own the house. Oh yeah, so much and more. all this stuff. But but really, um, that's that's it's it's not as I don't think that the number of people who could do it are as small as you may suspect. And I don't think that the impact is as small as you may suspect. I think what this is all about, and this comes back to the whole concept of the podcast and the concept of having these conversations is that it starts with a conversation. And then all of a sudden you surface that conversation that happens at scale. And then you can start to see big changes if people take the next step.
1: I mean, and no before luck. this conversation, yeah.
0: you weren't thinking about it, really. No,
1: I mean, my mind's already spinning about how it is that I'm going to go about enacting this. I'm sure that I could get some other people like me on board to do something like this. It's just my well, it's hope. Probably that- people already doing it. Also, oh well, shit, I don't know. Maybe not the way that I would do it. I don't know. I feel That's like cool. I do it better. Let's work.
0: Let's work on that.
1: All right. But my point is that I mean, there's a lot of good intentions out there, um, but once money becomes involved. Um, it, it seems like people's mission statements become more hazy. You know what it is that they came in with their idea becomes less viable because growth is more important. And so I, I like the idea that we could keep it small. I think that that makes it better. I the rehab that I went to ended up expanding, and if I had to go to rehab again, I wouldn't go there. It's a big
0: difference between getting well in a, in a home with five to 10, you know, people who become your close friends. Right. Um, versus, you know, being a patient in a complex and being assigned a number and, and, and being there with 200 people in a very different setting. It's a very different thing.
1: Well, I feel like, um, addiction itself alcoholism addiction is more a disease of isolation than it is a disease of anything else. It's not a moral failing. It's not anything else. It's a matter of the fact that nobody knows where I am, what I'm doing, how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. I'm the only one. So becoming a part of a community that you connect to changes all of that. Absolutely. Being given a number and thrown in thrust into some sort of, you know, awkward you know social experiment machine you know that none of that's going to work you want <laughs> you uh, you want to be a part of something you want to know who it is that you're with you want to be able to open up to someone you can't really have that any other way and so i guess we're the fortunate ones we are so i i still want to talk about something related to recovery that doesn't have anything to do with treatment centers mostly um it is for people who are likely in twelve step recovery that I want to talk about it.
0: Okay. Well, then, so the next part of the episode is going to be tailored specifically to folks who are familiar with and know about the recovery community. Um, if you'd like to learn more, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. And if you don't, then you can always uh, you can always come back next episode. Go ahead.
1: All right. We're gonna um, talk about. Well, okay. So, I got involved in twelve step program. Um, that's where, uh, I finally found my recovery, um, or some semblance of my ability to stand on my own two feet without getting loaded, but I've gotten, (sighs) I got really involved. I mean, we're at the point where I serve on three different committees right now. Um, I sponsor almost a dozen different dudes, um, I am, I'm always doing something and I, I've reached a point where I realized that I got another two years of, uh, one of the commitments that I have and I kind of want to take a couple steps back because I feel like I'm not living my life. You know, I have, I have, um, so many responsibilities and obligations that life starts to feel like one big obligation. So I know that it's, um, I know that there's some good things about being of service, and I'm all about it. I really am. But there comes a point where when you, <clears throat> when you engage in as many things as I have, that you, you sort of lose touch with um, your ability to enjoy the service that you do, um, to be able to live life and enjoy the things that you're doing, maybe take up hobbies. I I mean, here's the issue that I have. is like I was at work one day, I'm working, and I was thinking about – What do you think I want to do when I'm on? You know, when I go home and I don't have anything to do, I have nowhere that I have to be, and I was like, I don't fucking know. Mm. I don't have any fucking hobbies. I have zero fucking hobbies. When I'm not at work, I'm doing AA, and when I'm not doing AA, I'm sleeping. And uh, that's—I mean, some might say, probably the extremists that I hang around um, with—that that's the best way to do recovery. But I don't like the idea that I'm completely distracted from my own life. I don't like the idea that, um, like outside of what did I do to earn money and to help others, like I don't have any other purpose. My existence feels maybe a little shallow because of that. And so, uh, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And I've even been like, um, throwing around the idea, it was a joke at first. that, you know, when I hit 10 years, I'm going to go do peyote or something like that. Mm. That was a joke. And and it, I mean, sort of this hollow promise that I made myself. But at five years, like I'm closing in on that. It seems like <laughs> I'm only halfway there, but like five years went by really fucking fast. Mm. So I know that another five years will go by about the same. And I don't want to end up at 10 years thinking to myself that that's still a thing. But at the same time, I don't want to have wasted five years between now and 10 years where – um, all I did was just grind through AA. I don't want to do that anymore. So, are you you open to feedback on this? I'm hoping for it. Well, I think we could examine
0: it on a couple levels, right? At the at the most abstract level, um, which is to say, at the removed from the topic of recovery, it seems like it's a question of balance. And right? we talk about work life balance. We talk about You and I talked a little bit about the contracts that we make with ourselves and the contracts we make with others. So like this feeling of obligation and responsibility. So we could talk about it at that level. Another level that we could engage this on is by talking about just life in recovery, right? So specific to, hey, we know a bunch of sober people and we've been sober people for some time and we can speak to it from that perspective right like the idea of getting burnt out on sponsees and sponsorship and like how to keep your program fresh and that's a slightly different discussion from just yeah. this abstract notion of, of um of responsibility and then we could also just talk about it as just like the actual tactical like oh well then then you know then have you considered doing this have you considered doing that and that's sort of the third which is like almost like this um you know immediate immediate action uh, immediate remedy. And that's what I normally get.
1: I normally get that. Like, well, you should do this and you should do that. And my whole point is, I want to do less so yeah. that I can figure out what I want to do. Like right. the big issue is, I don't need any fucking feedback on like what I'm gonna actually do. Mm. I I just kind of I I uh, it's something that I want to discuss. Like I can't possibly be the only one who's experienced this. Oh sure. Um, but also, I think that most people are afraid to even say like, "Hey, I kind of want to do less AA right now."
0: Yeah. Well, I think there's a stigma, um, and it's not so much a stigma, it's, it's an identified slippery slope, and there's a direct correlation, um, bo- both in terms of, you know, my personal experience and the collective experience of people who we know, where, where it says if you're not doing the deal, like the, the degree to which you stop doing the deal is the degree to which your recovery starts to suffer,
1: yeah. Right? I, your, your disease is out in the parking lot. It's doing uh, push-ups, bro. And dude, I'm so tired of hearing that. First of all, diseases don't do push-ups. No one diseased has ever done push-ups. They don't do that shit. I do push-ups, but I do know this. My issue comes from the fact that, like, I so when I first got in, um, and you, uh, you may remember this, the first time you ever had a service commitment or something like that that you had to do when you showed up for it, that feeling that you had like you were finally a part of... Mm. I feel like I'm not a part of anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I am more a part of what's going on uh, in my recovery community than I have ever been. But every single year, I add more and more and more and more to it. And so, I, um, I mean... I I used to say from the podium I used to say this and so like I I've, I've never met anybody who's come back in after a relapse and they just said well, I worked too many steps and I fucking sponsored too many guys and went to too many meetings and had too many service commitments and that's why I got loaded but like I honestly feel like I've never been closer <laughs> to getting loaded yeah
0: so so I think I think I do want to start at that abstract layer right like all the way zoomed out and talk about contracts and and work life and sort of yeah. where we devote our time. I got sober because I couldn't achieve any of my long-term ambitions. I got sober because I was lost playing the same level of the video game. And on some level, it's because I failed a certain self-care kindergarten, right? And there weren't adequate supplies were not provided to teach me some basic fundamental skills. And so, you know, like many of us in recovery, I had to go back to kindergarten, and going back to kindergarten meant you know using the crayon using the color following the instructions right coloring inside the lines and developing a discipline and ritual for managing um you know a mental illness yeah <laughs> and and so um and that's great right so, so so everybody who hits that point of desperation ends up having to go back to kindergarten and you go to kindergarten and you, you know, I resented kindergarten then, and and I was such a failure that I was very excited to be able to do kindergarten. Nap and that time, was, bro.
1: That's what it's about. Well, nap time. Right.
0: Um, and le- <laughs> well, learning how to sleep. Yeah. Right. Um, learning how to have recess without sneaking off the schoolyard, right? It, all of these basic skills were reintroduced, and I think the challenge And it's because we're teaching all levels of the course in the same classroom. Like when you when when we walk into a meeting, right, uh, and we, we go to the rooms of recovery, the message is catering to the newcomer. So so we're very much there are people in the class who are college professors. There are graduates. There are people in high school. There are people in elementary school, but we're teaching kindergarten. Right, yes. Right, and and what you hear from the podium most often is tailored to the person who just came in and needs and needs that, that crayon removed from their nose.
1: Which is, by the way, and this is going to be something that – this is my caveat. So if you're hearing this and you're new, I'm not saying don't pick up commitments, don't participate, don't do this. The last five years of my life have been the best five years of my entire life. All I'm saying is – so I feel like there comes a point where you're overcommitted – and you're so busy in the grind that you miss the gift. Sure, and that's and that's and I think that there's a
0: moment right where there's like if you gave me kindergarten, literal kindergarten coursework right now, I would crush it. You think so? I would cut incredible squares with those little scissors. I would color with those crayons, and I'm it would to. look better than any kindergartner in America. I'm gonna guarantee it. I'm challenging you. Cool. And right. we can we can, you know, break out about that if you want to have a separate conversation about it. But <laughs> I think that I think that I'm I'm really good at the kindergarten stuff. And I think what happens in recovery is that it takes you to the it's taken me to the next thing that I was afraid of growing in. And I'm really I haven't got you know, let me zoom out a little bit if I if I may, to this to this abstracted level, right? Which is if even if it wasn't about recovery it's about this sense of balance. And if you overcommit in one area of your life, right, even in the spirit of pleasing others, um, when I overcommit in one area of my life in the spirit of pleasing others, right, I can take it to the nth degree. And before I know it, I'm deeply dissatisfied. And that's a result of maybe some challenges that I had being shown proper boundaries growing up and recognizing that there's a balance that, that you know, you can't do everything For someone else You can't be all things to all people And you certainly Can't grow, mature, and have a good life If you're not doing something for you hmm.
1: Yeah, and I've experienced that wasn't that. modeled for no, me No, Well, yeah, and I you start to see it It becomes a necessity after a time Because you realize that, like, I literally cannot Help everyone, and for anyone who's listening Who's in recovery, it says that in the book so We cannot be helpful to all people That's a fact, that's in there Um, However, I mean, for me, it's more of an existential thing because I I feel like, I mean, there's so many things going on and to be a part of just one thing that's beautiful, helping this other person, this next opportunity to turn something that's broken into something that's beautiful um, and and to be a part of that, even if just like peripherally, um, I I never want to say no. Yeah. It's, It's like the lady who collects too many cats. That's what I am. I have too many fucking cats.
0: Well, then, I mean, but just to jump to tactical land here for a second, you, you are you setting boundaries with people. Um, you know, you can absolutely say no, and then that that's dependent on a hierarchy of needs and a code that you follow for yourself.
1: Right. Yeah, and of course I do, um, except for you know an inner group where I have to say yes. You I, don't. I did. To. I know, but you I actually did, though. don't have to do I know any that, of it. But I did though.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, but but you can turn around and say no now
1: that is that is the truth yeah and but it I'm doesn't not, I, matter i mean i'm not going to do that
0: but well if you're sick of recovery and you're in danger of hating the whole thing and and you at 5 years don't have your own hobby your own passion your own pursuit then then you know you're you're living the actor's scenario except that your acting is that i am the perfect aa guy and i want everyone to see as like the perfect recovering sponsor person that's there to help everybody else you can, but
1: you cut me deep jacob
0: oh shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> no i mean I can, but that's so the
0: room for growth right i mean i mean why are we here right like we're here um you know in in large part because my journey has taken me to the next place where i need to grow yeah and it you know. has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with the rooms right it has to do with like what pursuits when you when you retire, not at night, but when you retire from this life, and you look back over the years of your life, what's a life worth living? And and if you never made that list, well, well, that's because you don't introduce that in kindergarten. No. You don't go to the kindergarten who's uh, a kindergartner who's unruly, can't be trusted with scissors, you know, constantly has crayons up his nose, and say, you know, well, that was me, but it hasn't been me for a long time, right? Right. And So if I rest on my laurels, I can say, well, I have now colored in my boxes and I can color in everybody else's boxes. And I've been teaching kindergarten for seven years. And it's like, okay, so how's your multiplication? Well, I just don't have time to do multiplication. There's just so many five-year-olds running around here who need constant supervision, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Well, do you want multiplication? Yeah, absolutely. But I feel really guilty. If I like let one more kindergartner, you know, like miss out on, the, I mean, that's that's a metaphor for what I think you're describing.
1: Right. Yes, and I mean, on some level, it's accurate too because I'm confident that most of my sponsees are five year olds. Um, yeah. Shout out to sponsees everywhere. We were
0: once five years old. That's the I mean that's the <laughs> point, right? Like I mean, I sound like a five year old too to my mentor, but I think that that's the limitation of the program in its in its in its core, right? Is it brings about this change and then like from there you're supposed to not you but like yeah from there i desire to live the life that i wanted and i think that's a, that's a big we had a friend who talked about like what's your vision because everything i've ever wanted i got but if you want to just hang out and do the same thing then you might just hang out and have the same thing happen yeah if you don't if you don't include your vision
1: yeah and and,
0: and the challenge is to go pursue the vision without knocking out the foundation that let you have a vision in the first place. So that doesn't mean that I stop doing kindergarten stuff. It just means that like I relegate kindergarten to its own place. It's one room in the mansion that's been built for me.
1: Well, yeah, you know, one of the things that this friend had talked about was you know a five-year plan, like what expands out from here. You know, yeah. What are you gonna be, where are you gonna be in five years? And I think that that's probably where I started thinking about this the most, because last year, when I took on some of these commitments, I wasn't in that front of my mind. I wasn't Mm -hmm. thinking about that, but this new and novel idea that like, hey, you know, uh, and we've talked about this before, like anything that you're doing at any given time, like this could be the last time that you ever do whatever that is. This could be the last podcast you listen to. Right. You don't know. Um, Even if you don't die tomorrow, which is a complete possibility for anybody, but you know, things could change. This could be the last time you ever do it. So, like, are you enjoying it? Is this your bliss? Is this what you want to be doing? And uh, and so, <clears throat> while I really like being sober, um, I really do. I didn't think I was going to like it. And most people, when they first come into this, don't think that this is going to be fun or enjoyable. Um, but it's it's quite nice. Um, but I don't know that I, I want to work as hard as I fucking do for it.
0: Well, and, and I don't think the answer is to stop working as hard as you do. I think the answer is to start working on that five-year plan and then let that organically grow. Yeah. And, and stop yeah. using your commitments in recovery as the excuse for why you haven't.
1: Ooh, See, and that's true. So it's easy for me to procrastinate when I have something to hide behind. And I can't be the only Same. person who – yeah, this is a thing. that I'm sure that anybody listening to this could be doing – anything else but instead they're procrastinating by listening to these two no they're washing these dishes right dude they're doing incredible things i do dishes while i listen to podcasts too don't feel they're driving
0: they're getting places i mean it's it's never a sole vocation
1: i don't think i guess it depends on the podcast but i um you know hi mom hey (laughs) so um yeah i uh I don't know. I, I have let a lot of things get in the way. But, you know, it is really important to note that um, there have been some really cool developments. And you had mentioned earlier about me getting married. We've done all kinds of cool shit. We went to Hawaii. Um, we we have a, a trip planned uh, where we're going to go out to California and see your grandparents. The important moments don't pass us by completely. No. I just feel like they are fewer and fewer and further and further between. And I've always got more and more commitments between each one. Um, so I think that that's something that I could probably address. Um, well, well, I'm just trying trying to find that balance is difficult because I've never really known it. You know, what I mean, but, been but you've f-
0: arrived at the place where the balance is the next. Achieving that balance is the next step of your growth, and the discomfort that you're feeling is not you doing something wrong. It's the indication that you've graduated kindergarten. Like, you're getting really tired of adding two plus two plus two plus two plus, plus two. Like, you got to go learn multiplication, and that's just different, right?
1: Shout out to my other first graders. Yeah, right? That
0: like, it's time to... It's, you've graduated, right? Like, you're not... And if you don't, then, like, you're in danger of getting so sick of kindergarten... That you eat the Play-Doh. Or, or whatever, right? And you drop out again. Yeah, and you no, start failing just for failing's sake. So, I had a... I had a mentor who advised me to draw a pie chart, and I invite anybody who you know resonates like or, or identifies with what you've shared, Wes. And, and like it's it's not alien to me. Um, my pie chart just real, sliced up, and it was something that that a guy in Utah introduced me to. Uh, he said, "Make a pie chart. It's your day. It's twenty four hours, full circle. That's hundred percent twenty four hours. Now chop out how much you sleep." Now chop out your morning routine. Now chop out work. Chop out the non-negotiable items, right, that you have that you are committed to. And now look at the remainder of that pie chart and recognize just how valuable that is. Because ultimately it's it's that's your that's the one finite resource that you don't know how much of it you have left. Word to yeah. what you were talking Time. about, like you know, really enjoying and and, and knowing. Right. And it's but but Harris, you know, Sam Harris, who, who who spoke about that, like, you may not be conscious of the last time you do something, mm-hmm. also talked about that it's not so, and this will be a segue into meditation at some point, but, like, it's not so much the time, it's attention. Because if you're lost in thought daydreaming during that extra time, then, like, you might as well have wasted it. So it's not just that that it's that remaining time, it's the attention that you place in that time. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, okay, so I have 2 hours free during the day and I spent most of it just flipping channels on the TV, then like I don't know if I if I really use that time, right? If I got anything out of it.
1: Similar to having a conversation and not hearing what the other person is saying, but instead just waiting to respond, that kind of attention. And and then when you do that to yourself, I mean, you have to consider that like You don't talk to anybody more than you talk to yourself. So when you do that to yourself, like you are literally living with a person who ignores you. And that's the issue that I'm having is that I've spent enough time uh, thinking that ignoring myself entirely uh, was some form of selflessness uh, that I'd conflated the two. It's not the same. Um, You can be selfless, certainly, but if you don't take care of yourself, that's selfish. It's,
0: it's self-defeating, certainly. Well, yeah. I mean, or maybe it's just the pendulum that swings, right? So when we got in, we've been, we've been at the selfish, extreme end of the pendulum. And like, it needs to move back in this other direction. So you move into service. You move into having a relationship with a peer group, right? You move into showing up for things instead of running away from them. But again, that can, that can go all the way to the end. So anyway, so you look at that pie chart and then you identify the free time. And then you realize like that's really the meta problem, right? That's the meta, that's the meta problem, the solution to which you'll work on for the remainder of your days, right? Is figuring out a way to either maximize your sleep, maximize your time, maximize the value with the time that you have and the attention that you're able to bring to it, right? So that's, I mean, obviously that's why people try to make more money, I think, right? I mean, that's why I try to make more money.
1: Right. And I mean, also work less because that increases the amount of pot. Bingo. Right. right. So
0: dollars per hour, right? Like, so now all of a sudden, same amount of money, but I'm working four hours a day. Great. I just bought four hours of that extra time to do what I want. But the next thing to do was to ask, the exercise was to ask, what do you want? What's a life worth living? When you go back through the epilogue and you, you want to write in past tense, like went and did this, had this happen. My life was filled with these things. And if that's too specific, then you can think about core values that you have, and I'll and I'll share mine if it if it if it helps. I have them right up here on the wall. Um, it says P A C T: Peace, Abundance, Creativity, and Truth. And so when I'm faced with like I want peace, I want peace of mind, I want I want peace in my surroundings, right? Abundance, I want an abundance of quality relationships. I want an abundance of, um, obviously like it's nice to have some material wealth, right. But if only to offset discomfort mm-hmm. and it opens the door to doing other things as well. Right. Uh, abundance of friendships, abundance of, um, health would be great. Right. Creativity. I, I, I'm a fan of novelty. Like I like new things. Mm-hmm. Some folks who just want the same thing every day. Like I, that's me. Right. Okay, yeah. well then, then consistency, right, or stability may be something that you're looking for. That could be one of your core
1: values. I like the acronym, so I'd probably go with consistency just because it fits. Oh, yeah, you still think oh, – okay, well, you don't have to you know, use that. Pact is good. You've got to make a pact with yourself. You know? And
0: that's and – that, there's a symbolism there for me too, right? <laughs> yeah. And then truth was this idea of like even though it's uncomfortable, I'd rather know You know, – I'd, I'd yeah. rather have the truth. And I'd rather have the truth and the transparency um, and it's been painful So, so anyway, so I did that ritual of like looking at this PACT thing, right? For me, that's my, that's my core values and I'm sharing them with the entire world. So who knows? But like that, and that immediately started to change the way that I looked at things because I look at, I looked at my career at that time and I said, is this bringing peace, abundance, creativity, and truth into my life? And the answer was, no, it was bringing, it was bringing some material abundance, but I was stressed the fuck out. Was it truth? Mm. Probably it was business. Yeah. It was not, it's, it. it's not personal. The two it's are not, not truthfully exclusive. Right. Right. Was it creative? It was moderately creative, but very constrained. Right. And so I was like, wow, like if I look at my core values, I'm not living in my core values. So that, so that started to drive a lot of change. And that meant that I only go to, like, the one meeting to bring it back to recovery. Yeah. I only go to the meeting that you and I go to, a men's group, right? Because I don't see a lot of truth in the, in the other meetings. Yeah. I don't see a lot of abundance in certain environments, right? And, like, and I know that I need crowdsourcing for my sanity, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, and so I started to evaluate that pie, with those core values. And that allowed me to make some changes that were in alignment with my core truths. Now, I arrived at those core truths by doing the program and being of service, chopping wood and carrying water. So
1: it's not that I abandoned. Yeah, I mean, those are the hardest to find anyway. I mean, despite all we can say about like the amount of time it's probably going to take me when I get home and I get my crayons out and I start trying to make my own pie chart, which is something that I think I intend to do. And if I'm going to do it, anyone listening should do it. Um, but finding those core truths is like the biggest, most challenging. It took 12 steps for me to figure it out. I had to do it more than once. Sure. And so, it'll change. I don't yeah. expect that to just be
0: the same. I mean, I found that like, yeah, maybe I want some stability. You know, I don't, I don't, change isn't on there. You know, I didn't put wealth on there. I mean, it's like, it's going to be different for everybody, right? Because everybody's got something that they're looking for in their life. I mean, peace. I mean, I don't. I don't race motorcycles, right? I don't ride a motorcycle. You're going to leave here and jump on a pretty sick hog, like hmm. that's, that, that's something you look for, right? And that wouldn't be in alignment with, with my core values. Like I wouldn't want I like the noise, the danger, right? And So excitement could be there, right? And excitement could mean travel, it could mean you value travel, it could mean you novel, you like danger or an exposure climbing. to risk. Free
1: climbing is fun.
0: Yeah, well, there you go. All things that I want no part of.
1: Oh man, <laughs> oh, And nothing to do with that. I gotta, get, I gotta do. It. Don't worry, he's fine. He's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, we know some people.
1: Yeah, I do. Crowdsourcing,
0: but but I want to come back to this idea of like 1.0 recovery, right? Like 1.0 recovery is like, hey, you've been the re- the obsession has been removed. You've had your rights restored. You know, you have a career. You're useful to your fellows. You're not living in the bedevilments as outlined in the in the big book. You're living in the promises. Now what? Right? And there's there's no shortage of dudes who will quote unquote judge you for not doubling down on that. And that's fine. I have nothing. I have no quarrel with any of those people. Like, and if they have a quarrel with me, they're probably talking to their sponsors, right? They're certainly not talking to me about it. Yeah. Um. But my path was, was not recovery for recovery's sake. I don't want to be a circuit speaker. I don't want to be known in an anonymous organization. It's, yeah, it's somebody my, who,
1: like... <laughs> being the coolest kid in AA is like being the smartest kid on the short bus. It's just... There's no trophies. There's not... No one gives a fuck. No, I mean... I mean, everybody on the short bus does. And there's a distinction to
0: doing it. And sure. there's a value. You, you become a leader. You don't, can find a sense of self and identity within that
1: community. I don't need to be distinguished within AA. There are a lot of people who think that I have something good to say. But mostly it's... I mean, like it's just my experience that I share so it's got to be the same for everybody else but there's nothing particularly interesting about what it is that I have to say I'm just vocalizing what it is that happened with me and how it is that I'm doing but this is like a major issue for me is like the um, the amount of AA that I do interferes with my ability to do anything else so you know and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about this you made some valuable suggestions here um I'd like to figure out what it is that I kind of want. I never really stop long enough to, like, look at it. And so if there's anyone listening who's had the same experience, like, it is worthwhile to stop and take a look at this. Not everything has to be viewed through the prism of... You know, an in inventory in, day, in its traditional sense. You can you can take a look at these things, um, and there's nothing shameful about it. It's okay to say, you know, like, I'm going to need to take a break. This meeting that I was going to go to, I'm going to not go to that. And I'm going to sit at home, and I'm going to try to, like, think about some things that matter to me. Figure out what it is that I want to do. Make a plan for how it is that I'm going to bring joy into my life and into the lives of others. That's important to me. Yeah. It really is. I'm not uh, the only one on this planet who's dying. We are all dying. 100% so of us. Every one of us is going to die. Well, I don't want to leave it there, but that's no, so true, though. it's true. And so I, I want to try to, um, I don't know, I, I, I think that I do a lot that matters in AA. I think I do a lot that matters in the lives of the people around me. One of the things that we talked about when we were at lunch uh, today was showing up for people. Like, I've made it a goal to show up for people, um, and, and I do that, and I try to do it without fail. Um, So that's been um, a big part of the life that I live But, you know, I don't think that I show up for me As much as I probably should I think we're all
0: just figuring it out And we do figure it out one day at a time But at some point you perfect that day And then you want to start looking at the bigger picture And that used to be a danger. I mean, it's at the core of this idea of like a dubious luxury, right? The brainstorm and the grouch, the big Mm -hmm. plan. What's your five-year plan? Like, do not ask a dude in treatment what What? his (laughs) five-year plan is. But if you don't ask a guy with five years in recovery who's still showing up at the same treatment center bringing in that meeting what his five-year plan is, maybe you're doing a disservice to that person, especially if their recovery is as strong as it could be. And And again... What we teach in the rooms is kindergarten. And, and, and I'm, I'm blessed, right? Because I came up with none of these ideas on my own. I just kept looking for mentors and sponsors who had what I wanted and started to ask them some of these questions, right? Like I've, I've nailed this, so how do I get that next thing? And they started to introduce these concepts of, well, you know, if you wanna work through a lot of this anxiety and you've already prayed about it, like maybe you should go talk to somebody. Right. Yeah. If your relationship's messed up, maybe you should go to a relationship counselor instead of going to your sponsor who's there to help you with the drug problem but has actually been divorced three times. Maybe you should go, <laughs> you know, talk to a professional about your relationship. Maybe yeah, you mean, should go seek, you know, a financial advisor for your for your career. Yeah,
1: don't go to the mechanic <laughs> to get your hair cut, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that.
0: Um, are you good at cutting hair?
1: Uh I tried it once. it, it went bad okay oh I cut my own hair still goes bad yeah same yeah
0: I do I do need help I can't do it alone
1: I think that's pretty much the nature of this whole podcast that we've been talking about everything we talked about here can't do it alone
0: I'm really grateful to you for joining me and being my guest um is there anywhere that you want people to find you or any final thoughts you want to share
1: I'm not easy to find unless you show up Monday nights um to the a specific group but if you ever find it you'll find me there um and I really don't I don't have much more to say I'm just uh grateful for the opportunity to come here and hang out with you I don't this is a new piece of self-care that I hadn't tried before and I think I like it so um, thanks for um uh, inviting me over and for lunch
0: great to have you
1: yeah